Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless Possible. And welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello, Zara McDonald. Hello. Coming up on today's show, is James Corden the next to fall down to cancel culture? Plus, the celeb baby boom, David and Victoria Beckham's massive Netflix deal, and the Kardashian birthday story that split shameless listeners right down the middle. Is it a bit gross to celebrate your 40th birthday on a private island and post about it on social media, all in the midst of a pandemic? Or should we just accept that rich people are going to live their very best lives no matter what the rest of us are doing? (laughs) But first, Michelle, before I even ask about your week... We should acknowledge that we completely forgot that we would be allowed to record in the same room today, so we are still oh. doing it remotely. And you know the funny thing about this, guys? We're not just recording remotely. We're recording remotely with two shoddy internet connections. <laughs> so fucking God help us. Like the one day we could be in person and you and I are such frazzled people, we didn't even click. Now, nah, I logged on here and I was like, hang on a second. This doesn't have to be how it is, but it's a bit late now because I'm at home and neither of us can be bothered leaving. Why are we such a mess, like a hot mess all of the time? Yeah, I know it's pretty embarrassing, but regardless, how was your week anyway? (laughs) My week was one of those weeks where you have really high highs and really low lows, not going to lie. My family went through something privately that meant that I got no sleep on Tuesday night, like none. And I had to drive into the CBD on Wednesday morning. Probably not the best decision in hindsight. I'm sure it's not a great idea idea to drive with a bit of sleep deprivation. But also, the thing was, it was the first day that people were working back in the city. So it also wasn't a quiet morning to drive into the city. Oh, Zara, exactly. (laughs) So I've been used to when I need to go into the CBD, 
day to pick up something for work or whatever, there's always parking spots. This was the first day where there were no parking spots in the Melbourne CBD. And I needed a parking spot because I agreed to meet Zara and one of our colleagues at 9.45 in the morning. I was running 15 minutes late and I was like, I need to find a park. I hate running late. I hate using people's time. I got very, very anxious and I thought, okay, I'm going to find the first car park I can wherever. It doesn't matter how much it costs. I will figure it all out later. Right now, I just need a park. So I drove into a car park and I realized halfway through, after the boom gate let me in, that there were no pay stations and I had no idea where I was. My head at the time was like, this is fine. Everything's fine. It must be one of those like number plate reedy things. I'll sort it out later. Parked, left my car. Something in my head said, God, I should probably really figure out where I've parked before I leave my car. But then my anxious brain kicked in and was like, you don't have time, Michelle. Get to the meeting. I got there, spent an hour with you two, which was absolutely glorious and lovely. And then upon walking back to where my car was, realized I was completely fucking lost in the middle of the CBD. I was walking around multiple car parks that looked completely foreign and not at all like the one that I parked in. (laughs) And about 45 minutes into my search, instead of dealing with it, Like a capable adult, I had a full-blown panic attack to the parking attendant and he had to call around the car parks in the CBD to find where my car was so they could all research and then I had to be escorted to my car. (laughs) It is a relief to know that there are people that will help you find your car when it's lost because I've always made the assumption that if I lose my car in an underground car park, it's never coming back. (sighs) I actually thought at one point, I'm like, do I just abandon it? Do I just abandon this vehicle and get the fuck home in an Uber because I am not in the mental state right now to deal with this? Props, though, to the very, very kind middle-aged men who had to deal with a hyperventilating Michelle. They were so lovely and so kind. And if they happen to have a wife or a sister or anyone who's listening to this right now, thank you. I am so sorry for being so frazzled. It was a bad day and a bad night the night before. But I'm feeling better now. I mean, very earnest silver linings. But, you know, you can make a difference in someone's day when you don't even know them just by being kind. Exactly right. Zara, I do have a recommendation, but you're going to hate me for it because I want to snake you out of your recommendation. Yeah, you've stolen it from me, but I'm I'm in a kind mood, so do whatever you want. <laughs> I just had a panic attack. You need to be nice to me. So you told me about this show in the middle of the week. It is called Reputation Rehab. It's on the ABC. And basically the crux of it is getting Australia's most notorious celebrities on to try and repair their broken reputations. Yeah, well, it depends on your definition of notorious as well, but it's definitely focusing on people who have been kind of pulled through the media and have been trolled. It was created by Kirsten Drysdale and Zoe Norton Lodge. And in the first episode, they, of course, got Nick Curios on to, you know, (laughs) jokingly repair his reputation. But the crux of it is, of course, to talk to them about their relationship with the media and how they've been trolled and how, you know, perception of them has been crafted over a very, very, very long time. So it was very good. I would say one thing though, Michelle, there were a few gimmicky bits in it. I don't know how else to describe Mm, it. No, you're so right. There were a few gimmicks that made me think this show would be a 10 out of 10 without this fluff. Like just give me the interview, give me the backstory, give me the really funny jokes in the interview, but you don't need to give me all this additional stuff that serves no purpose. What I do like about Reputation Rehab though, particularly with the Nick Kyrgios episode, which was the first episode to air, is how they talk to members of the Australian public and they show them photos of the person and they kind hear their very preliminary thoughts on these people and how those thoughts have been so 
quickly manipulated by the media. I think that's a really powerful tool to sit people down and go, who is this and why do you instantaneously feel negatively towards them? It's a really great show. I think listeners of Shameless will instantly gravitate towards it. It's definitely a recommendation that I stole from you, but one that I back. What about you? How was your week? Yeah, well, just quickly before I get into my week anyway, anyone can find that on iView, so it's not hard to find Mm -hmm. online. As for my week, the week was pretty good given it was our first week out of lockdown and God, it's a nice feeling, freedom, you know, leaving the house, having somewhere to go. I was, um, we were in a meeting the other day, Mish, and I remember talking in this meeting about how it was so nice that I had gone out for dinner the night before and I was in Chapel Street and Chapel Street was just booming like it felt like a Saturday night. (laughs) And someone said, you know, I didn't realise that I had missed sound so much, like the sound of a very boisterous, busy pub. And I was like, gosh, that nails it for me because... It's a really comforting sound now. I don't know if I would have thought the same maybe six months ago, but it's a really comforting sound now walking down the streets and hearing a really loud pub or hearing people have fun and socialising and being together. And I had forgotten how much I had probably been filling the last few months with sound. Like I had been in my apartment always playing podcasts, always playing music, always making sure something was happening because the silence of the last five or six months has been quite deafening. For sure. And it's like that cheery atmosphere when you get a bunch of people together and they're all just enjoying themselves and eating a meal or having a beer together. It's just happiness for me. Like I love walking through noise. I so miss walking through massive crowds like at the MCG and just seeing people on their night out, seeing people enjoy themselves away from work. And anyone in Melbourne who have lived here over the last few months knows that it has literally been like a ghost town. You can walk past streets and they'll be almost completely empty. People will all be in their homes. So to see people out and about again and happy and laughing and enjoying each other's company just fills my soul and fills my cup. Sorry to make this like a HR meeting. It (laughs) fucking fills my cup so much. I never, ever thought I'd appreciate the sound of a pea plate up driving down Chapel Street with his windows down, blasting a song (laughs) I likely hate. I never thought I'd be thankful for it, but there I was like (laughs) clapping him as he drove past being like, (laughs) woohoo! Looking like a fucking dorky idiot. Oh my God. It's the little things. It is the little things. It's the tiny things. And sound (laughs) has been a huge thing. So I don't know, maybe just to call out to everybody to appreciate sound. What a weird fucking start to the episode. We do have exciting news though to launch into today though, don't we, Mish? We do. Love Etc. Season 3 is on its way this week. Friday, in fact. If you are not familiar, Love Etc. is our sex, relationships and dating podcast with Bumble Australia. We are entering our third season. We fucking love doing it. Every season is 12 episodes. It explores all facets of love. And the first episode is a banger, Zara. The entire season is my favorite season yet. But the first episode is all about nightmare breakups. And it is juicy. It is quite juicy. And it was so interesting, Mish, because we recorded this entire season of Love Etc. remotely. So we obviously haven't been in the same room. Clearly today as well, <laughs> in months. <laughs> no exception. And we got people from all around Australia. And although usually for Love Etc, we'll fly to another city just to grab a few extra stories so they're not all just from Melbourne, we had a very remarkable ability this time to get stories from mm. anywhere. We've got stories from rural, like really rural towns, and you can actually hear the birds <laughs> and the animals in the backgrounds of some of those interviews. We got them from everywhere. So thank you firstly to everybody who came on and told us their story. There are some really remarkable mm 
number mm. ones on there this season. And as you say, Mish, it launches this Friday. It is Love It Set It A Summer of Love and we are so fucking excited to push it out. So keep your eyes peeled, your ears peeled, whatever it is that you are meant to keep peeled <laughs> and we will give you updates in the coming days. Gird your loins, is that the saying? Can what? people gird their it loins? Sounds- what does that even mean? I don't know, but it sounds kind of dirty. Gird your loins. Don't you think? Like if I was to be <laughs> honest about what I think gird your loins means, it kind of feels like, like I don't actually, I don't really want to say it on mic. <laughs> is it brace your ovaries or is it like position your hips? Sorry, that sounds so gross. Well, part of me thought it was something about horniness, but like, oh, I can't believe I've really? got to say this. I don't know why. Do we need to Google? Do we need to gird your loins? I, you know where I heard that first? I think I heard that in um, The Devil Wears Prada, where he's like, gird your loins. It means prepare oneself for something difficult or challenging. Oh, don't gird your loins for love, etc. And also, why did I think it was horniness? Why is my head... Why did I say positioning your hips? <laughs> my head's never in the gutter as well. It actually isn't. My head is in the opposite of being in the gutter most of the times. So I have no fucking <laughs> idea what's going on. Shall we move on to the hotline before we really embarrass ourselves right now? Please, we're hearing today from listener Laura. Hi, Shameless Podcast. I just wanted to get in touch and say totally random, but surely I'm not the only one who has started saying thank you so much, just like Michelle Andrews. Love your work, stay safe, and keep up the good work. Thanks. Laura, I didn't know I did that, but now that you've pointed it out, I absolutely do. You absolutely do. And you do that thing as well where you go, bye, or something. (laughs) Is it because you wish you were in a choir? I was in the choir. I think now's the perfect time for me to tell all the listeners that I was once in the Australian Girls Choir and we performed with some very impressive European choir, which I can't quite remember. And mum paid a lot of money to buy me this uniform and to get me like enrolled in this very prestigious choir. I spent about three weeks there and then cracked it and refused to go for another practice and she wasted all this money. So sorry, mum. Sorry, dad. Yeah. So what? Now you're taking it out on the rest of us, your your octaves or whatever they're called. (laughs) There must be things though. I mean, I I hardly want to open this can of worms, but because we do this job two or three times a week, it's very hard to escape your own isms. Like it's impossible to. So there must be things that we say or do all the time consistently that we don't even realize. Do you know what you do? I noticed this maybe a couple of years into our friendship. You have a habit of like piggybacking words onto each other. Like you double up words. So you don't say like a little kiss. You go like a kissy kiss or like, <laughs> like you double up words together. Or what was something? You just do it all the time. Now you I don't can't even, even think have of another examples, example. You, you double up words. You do. You do like, like little kissy kiss or like chippy chip or like those type of things. <laughs> chippy chip. I do do that actually. <laughs> <laughs> like nibble nibble. You nibble, always go nibble nibble. nibble. <laughs> Why do I do that? I don't think I've ever said nibble nibble on the podcast, but I do say that a little bit when I'm hungry. <laughs> well, there you go. I guess if anyone has another Michelle ism, please feel free to call the hotline. Don't call them about mine. I'll probably spiral. <laughs> All the Zara isms are welcome. Zara, let's get into today's first segment. We are talking about why the internet is turning on James Corden. It's very interesting to see a story like this very slowly unravel, Mish. And this story about James Corden kind of has been simmering for many years now. But for those who kind of aren't across it, the reason that it's reared its head again this week is because the private Instagram account Demois, which is kind of like an Instagram 
blind item gossip site but it basically Mm. just posts screenshots of unverified celebrity encounters received via dm so it is kind of dedicated to uncovering which celebrities are great which ones aren't so great and it's kind of the stuff of my dreams and my nightmares because a i have a weird fascination with finding out who is actually nice in hollywood but then also the stuff of nightmares because some of the encounters that people describe are so brief i feel like we'd all come off looking like assholes if we were put into that scenario like some of the encounters are people like yeah so I heckled them for half an hour and then they cracked and I'm like yeah no shit like you sound like the most annoying person ever anyway Dumois started posting screenshots about James Corden and people started to say James Corden is no good James Corden is an asshole but it is certainly not the first time that the internet has heard that Mish yeah well look Dumois had been posting so much about him in the last week because of a story that went live in Vanity Fair on October 22 so comedian Eric Andre did an interview with Vanity Fair he did not hold back and he gave a quote that really stood out to gossip pages like Dumois he was asked about cancel culture and about Ellen and he said Boo-hoo. Ellen was mean. Who gives a shit? I never thought she was nice. She seems like she'd be like, fucking get me a coffee now. Is that what cancel culture's devolved to? That guy's not nice. James Corden is fucked if that's the only criteria to get out. He continued by saying, James Corden and Lorne Michaels are screwed. They're trembling in their fucking boots. It's really interesting, right? Because Eric Andre is clearly coming out and saying, we shouldn't be cancelling people just for being shit people in terms of being kind of mean and a bit arrogant. Obviously, the Ellen DeGeneres conversation goes much deeper because there were BuzzFeed reports that came out much later that her workplace was incredibly toxic. But he is coming out saying, well, we shouldn't fucking cancel people for being mean. But also, here are the names of two people who are very mean that you're all (laughs) going to therefore cancel because you're going to dig up so much shit about them. Like... I don't know what he was trying to do there, but it seems like he's kind of still pushing a narrative he's trying to fight back on. In 2019, what I find most interesting, and I didn't actually remember this happening, Mish, James Corden and his carpool karaoke team tried to do a Reddit AMA, which is like an Ask Me Anything. Mm. And celebrities do use the Reddit AMA tool or function to do a bit of promo sometimes like Barack Obama has done one other celebrities have done them to promote movies Elon Musk loves it Elon Musk and Tesla love an AMA yeah Elon Musk loves a lot of stuff though <laughs> a lot of stuff that maybe shouldn't be loved too anyway so James Gorman did his uh, Reddit AMA and it went fucking terribly people came onto the thread and started name calling they started coming on with James Corden stories and the whole thing just made the news because it was so a shit show. I think there were more than 700 comments on this James Corden AMA and his team could only answer about three. That's how bad it was. Mm -hmm. And so this is when people really start talking about the fact that maybe it's not just a small thing about James Corden being an asshole, but maybe this is a very pervasive sense in Hollywood and wherever he works that he is not a nice person. Yeah. So many of the blind items sent in lately to gossip sites and gossip Instagram accounts like Demois very much concern themselves with how James Corden has been treating people that he allegedly deems to be below him. So it's not like he's going for the big TV exec. He's not going for his best mate, Harry Styles. He is reportedly acting quite shittily towards wait staff, towards assistants, towards people that he may think 
cannot serve him and cannot help him out in his career or boost him up. From some of the reports, he's extremely nice to other celebrities. He's extremely nice to high profile people. He does not reserve the same treatment for others. And I think that might be the most cliched, stereotypical way for someone to be an asshole, like to treat people with power one way and people without power the polar opposite way. Well, there is that idea, and I'm not at all calling James Corden a psychopath right now, but there is that idea that psychopaths do suck up to people who are deemed, you know, higher than them and absolutely stomp on the people that are lower than them. That is also the trait of an arsehole, though, just like a general (laughs) arsehole. Some of the stories, though, are a bit ridiculous. And it, like I said, it's it's really interesting seeing this stuff surface because it's impossible to verify every single story. So there are stories about him dropping his jacket on the floor at the Met Gala and refusing to pick it up when someone says that, you know, it needs to be checked in and he said someone else will handle mm-hmm. it. There are others about him being horrendously rude, as you say, Mission yelling to wait staff. There's one that's really interesting that has actually been verified by a lot of people who are at this meeting. There are a lot of young writers who say he turned up to a Writers Guild of America meeting for late night writers and advocated for them to be paid less, which is an interesting one for Mm. someone who's paid so much. And the last one, and I think this is the most famous James Corden story that has apparently, and I have my air quotes on here, being verified by people on the flight. But it is just the most famous story that hasn't quite been properly verified yet about James Corden on a flight. It went viral because a man called Seb Patrick posted it to Twitter and everyone quotes it from now. And the story reads like this. Half an hour into a New York to London flight, passengers in business class notice a woman with a crying baby being brought through the curtains by a flight attendant. They looked on in mild horror as they saw the attendant direct her into an empty seat next to James Corden. Expecting a huge celebrity hissy fit to kick off, Corden's cabin mates are impressed to see that he didn't say a word or make any sort of complaint. He simply put on a pair of noise-cancelling headphones, pulled on an eye mask over his eyes and turned away from her to sleep. Pretty decent of him, right? When the plane landed, though, passengers were surprised to see Corden remain seated as the woman with the baby struggled to open the overhead locker. And even more surprised when she turned to Corden and said, for fuck's sake, can you at least hold the baby while I get the bags down? The woman was his wife. The baby was his baby. Now, I'm interested in how you feel about this, Mish, because these stories, like, going viral are pretty ridiculous and pretty extreme, but what do we do when they haven't been completely verified? This is what I really want to talk to you about because I feel so conflicted, right? I think on one hand, social media is great at democratizing who has a voice, who has a story, who has influence, right? And I love that. Like historically, the little guy, the waiter, the Met Gala worker, the assistant, the flight attendant has never had a voice compared to the A-list celebrity. They've never been able to stand up to the A-list Hollywood celebrity. And I really do love that with social media, some of these A-listers can be held to account. I mean, just look at the Me Too movement, right? We don't need to go any further than that. On the other hand, though, can't there be a way to hold people to account without everyone involved hiding under a veil of anonymity? Like, I understand the people sending these stories in might need their anonymity protected by the owners and the founders of Dumois, but I don't understand why everyone involved has to be entirely anonymous, including those founders. Because if we can't tell whether the founders of Dumois are complete shit stirrers who just want a bit of attention, or if they're journalists who know their shit and have some kind of verification process before they publish information, 
I'm not sure we can give any level of weight to the information being shared. And you only have to look at the quote in Demois' profile to realize they don't verify anything. They will publish anything that comes in and any shit stirrer behind any profile can effectively try and trash a celebrity's reputation to more than 300,000 people. It's a really interesting one, right? Because I am so split down the middle about it. And I can't really work out which side of it I fall on because I think in many ways, the rumor mill can be incredibly dangerous to people's reputations. And as you say, like, what do we do with completely unverified information? and it can ruin someone's career if we don't do it properly. On the other hand, rumours are what start really important journalism. Like rumours are what started Harvey Weinstein investigations. Not at all that this is similar, but rumours are what started the Ellen DeGeneres workplace investigation. Like stuff like this, little simmerings are what starts, you know, really big important stuff. So it's like, well, without that, are we going to have the the BuzzFeed stories about Ellen DeGeneres' workplace? Like is that ever going to come out if, if people don't feel empowered anonymously to share their experience and start the conversation? I don't know. It, does, it doesn't sit well with me either side and it's 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 an interesting predicament but I'm fine with the people sharing their stories having anonymity I'm not denying them that but the people publishing those yeah. need to be people with faces we need to know what their angle is any biases they may hold why they want to share the story so badly I don't need to know the waiter's name who served James Corden and said he was an a-grade dick and sent back his soup I don't need to know his name, but I need to know the name of Demois' founders. Why can't I know that? Why do they have to hide behind this veil of anonymity? In the same way that the Diet Prouder founders came out and shared their names, and I feel like that really earned them a lot of trust and respect in the industry because we knew who we were getting our information from. We need to have the same from other anonymous accounts. Why do you need to hide behind anything you shouldn't have to? I also think, and I know a lot of listeners might hear me say this, and disagree. I think people's reputations are worth a lot. They're almost worth everything. And I don't care how rich you are, how famous you are, what kind of house you live in. I don't think it's fair to ruin someone's reputation overnight with a bunch of anonymous messages. I don't think it's fair. If we're going to trash someone, we need to have credible, verifiable evidence behind it. Well, there are a couple of things in this. I agree with you. I think it would be a pretty ugly world if that was the case all the time. I do think, though, this is not overnight, and I think that's exactly the point. This is stuff that's been simmering since before 2019. Like, this is stuff that's been going around on the internet for years now. Yes, still unverified, but it's not like one account has got a vendetta against James Corden. It is a lot of people coming together to try and share their information. Does that make it right? I don't know, but I don't think it's overnight. And I also wonder, Mish, and I think it's one point that maybe Eric Andre touched on at the very start of this segment when you read his quote, does it matter if someone's an asshole? Mm. Like, does it actually matter? In Ellen DeGeneres' case, it did because she was at the head of a, a workplace that was incredibly toxic. But if James Gordon doesn't preside over an organisation or a workplace that is toxic in the sense that Ellen's does or Ellen's was, does it matter if he's a bit of a dick? I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, if we're just going to start cancelling people who have been mean on a handful of occasions <laughs> in their lives, we're all going to be fucking cancelled. Like, we're all going to have bad days. And if you're James Corden, I, I see, this is the thing. I even know as I say this, people are going to be like, she's defending the celebrity. Stick up for the little guy. I want to stick up for the little guy. But from the perspective of James Corden, he would be recognised 100% of the time that he is outside of his house. Every interaction he has outside of his home, someone is watching, someone is observing what he does. We have a handful of stories from decades in the public eye. 
he could be having shitty days. Like, aren't we all about giving people the benefit of the doubt? Like in our book club on Saturday, Zara, we spoke about a man called Uva, who once you realize what his life is like, he's a really grumpy man, but he has a reason to be so grumpy and a reason to be so cynical about the world. Can't we give the benefit of the doubt and think that sometimes people act shittily because they've got things going on in their lives? I just worry about cancel culture becoming this thing where we are just having this insatiable thirst and appetite to pull people down. He hasn't done anything, as far as I'm concerned, so far to explain why he should be cancelled. Yeah, well, I mean, it also comes back to the use of the word cancel. Like, I don't think James Corden's ever going to be cancelled unless he loses his job and all his money. But if we're talking about him in the sense that we kind of want to publicly shame him for his behaviour, I kind of agree with you. I don't know. I don't condone his behavior in any way and it's so funny when you bring a man called uber back into this because i was on that podcast episode being like we should be kind to everyone and understand people's stories and then I'm like, <laughs> some people are just assholes because they're arrogant like some people are assholes not because they have a reason to be but because they're arrogant fucks who think they can get away with it it's impossible and it's hard so i feel like i'm arguing against myself all the time and i've found myself in an absolute tizzy right now but i do i think fundamentally agree with you i don't think unless more stuff comes out i don't think much can be made of the stories that exist right now. And let me say this as well. As soon as something comes out of my mouth in this discussion, I immediately start to think the opposite viewpoint. And then you start talking. I'm like, oh, but what about this? So I'm definitely like working myself just into one big knot. I do want to finish with one quote from James Corden that he gave to the New Yorker, which might prove to us that yes, he is a bit of an asshole. In fact, (laughs) he spoke to the New Yorker earlier this year and he said, I started to behave like a brat that I just don't think I am. It's so intoxicating, that first flush of fame. And I think it's even more intoxicating if you're not bred for it. In that very same article, they actually spoke to James Corden's mum. She reflected on that period of time where James was a brat. And over that time, she said, you can try and say, look, James, you're making a prat of yourself, but you can only do so much. Give us a call on the hotline, guys. What do you think? Is it fair for us to talk about James Corden in this way when none of these sources are verifiable? Or should we value someone's reputation no matter how famous they are? Coming up after the break, did Kim Kardashian massively misread the room with her birthday party? Or is there nothing to see here? But first, a word from today's sponsor. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity news cycle. My gorgeous friend Zara, what have you got for me? Hello, my first story. Harry Styles leaves One Direction fan a note after his car breaks down outside her house when she wasn't home. That is from Nine Honey. Did you see this story around? I did, only because you sent it to me and were like, what is going on here? Is this a PR thing or is he genuinely just the best person on the planet? Well, exactly. And I think that's still where I'm a bit confused. For those who did miss it, Harry Styles' car broke down this week, and which (laughs) first and foremost surprises me because I can't imagine having as much money as Harry Styles and still having a car that breaks down, but that's for another time. And he waited for it to be repaired in a stranger's home while drinking a cup of tea That stranger had a daughter whose name is Theodora and she happens to be a diehard One Direction fan but wasn't home when he popped in, which would be one of the great regrets of your life, I think, Theodora. (laughs) Anyway, Harry Styles then left her a note that read, Theodora, my car broke down on your street and your dad's friend kindly let me wait at your house with a cup of tea. I'm devastated that we missed each other. Looking forward to meeting soon. Treat people with kindness. All my love, Harry. P.S. I fed the fish. Quite sweet. 
Theodora posted this on social media. Her profile has since been put on private, Michelle, but her bio reads, the fish is called Harry. I <laughs> Have you seen the photo of Harry in the house with the fish? Yes, his outfit is magnificent. I thought Harry Styles just dressed for that for like his public persona, but he's wearing like flare pants and like an amazing top and he just looks everything that I've ever dreamed of and more like uh, the way he looks when he's just breaking down at the front of some random's house is the exact way he looks like on the cover of a magazine well he's wearing like this beautiful striped long sleeve top and these beautiful like beige linen pants that are a bit flared mish and I was like fuck if someone caught me with my car broken down I mean firstly if someone catches Michelle with her car lost that's one scene (laughs) but if someone catches me with my car broken down you can bet I'm not looking good like I'm not driving around in my car looking hot I know this isn't the point by the way but you said at the top of this story like as if as if his car's breaking down he's got so much money and I was thinking about it while you were giving some context oh yeah Harry Styles would totally be the kind of guy to be driving around like a 1960s car like he's not driving around a Maserati he's not driving around anything new this is a man who is supposed to be thriving in the 60s and 70s he's absolutely driving a car of that era which would break down He's so driving like a little beetle or something. You know those little beetle cars? Do you have any idea (laughs) what I'm talking about? I don't even know if I know what I'm talking about. What's interesting about this though, Zara, sorry to loop back in with our first segment about James Corden. Harry Styles and James Corden are like best friends. They hang out all the time. They do a lot of collaborations together. They are very, very close both on and off screen. I do find that to be interesting that Harry Styles does seem like one of the kindest, sweetest celebrities in Hollywood. And yet he's reportedly best mates with someone that people say is the opposite of that I don't know just an interesting tidbit that I think this story is legit I think he's lovely and it would be very interesting to be a fly on the wall in his friendship with James Corden I don't know who to believe or what to believe or anything (laughs) anymore so let me roll on to my second story Carly Kloss is reportedly pregnant with her first child with husband Joshua Kushner. That is from Elle magazine. Very exciting. I feel like everyone under the sun is pregnant right now. All these pandemic babies. So for those who aren't across this story either, a source close to Kloss told People, which is about as good as it's going to get, I think, that the model is pregnant and due next year. The source said Carly is overjoyed to be expecting her first child in 2021. She will be the most amazing mother. Carly has been with with Josh Kushner for many, many years now. They got married in 2018 and she's made headlines twice this week because firstly, she posted a photo on Instagram voting for the US election, which doesn't sound like the most interesting tidbit until you realize that, of course, Josh Kushner, her husband, is the brother of Jared Kushner, who is married to Ivanka Trump, who is, of course, the daughter of Donald Trump. Carly Kloss came out and said she was voting for Biden and Harris, which is always going to make its own headline. And now she's dropped the pregnancy. Do you think that maybe she's dropped the pregnancy to sort of like, I don't know, taper out the the politics story a bit? Maybe. But then again, if she didn't want to cop hate for coming out and saying she was voting for Biden, she could have just not done that. Like surely that would have been a really carefully timed decision and a really well thought out decision. I'm surprised she didn't announce it herself. I wonder if this was a leak or if Carly Kloss and Joshua Kushner 
wanted this to be leaked to a magazine that wasn't really attached to their own names. I don't know. If it is a leak, I'd be really pissed off. Like imagine being pregnant with your first child and someone taking that to a magazine and leaking it. Yeah, it is interesting because most celebrities have the power to announce this stuff on their own terms now. It is a bit weird when it is leaked to a magazine. But, you know, she's certainly not the first celebrity to announce her pregnancy in the last week or two. I mean, Emrata is also pregnant. She is. We have a mixed bag that we've written down here, Zara, because we've been trying to keep up to date with exactly who's pregnant at the moment. Emrata is pregnant. Steph Claire Smith locally is pregnant. So is Elise Knowles. Though I'm sure lots of our listeners will know who they are. They are Australian influencers and businesswomen. And then Connor and Mary from Bachelor in Paradise are pregnant. I nearly missed this story and I'm so glad I didn't because it caught my eye the other day and I couldn't believe it. For those who watch Bachelor in Paradise this year, one of the best couples of all, Connor and Mary, are having a baby I just can't believe it. I actually almost care about Connor and Mary more than I do about Carly Kloss. Oh, 100%. They're like the celeb pregnancy of the year for me. They were the sweetest people on that series and I am so over the moon for them. Yeah. Story number three, Michael Clark and ex-Kylie's Instagram selfie war ignites again. That is from the Daily Telegraph. I had to put this in there because I reckon this is my dumbest story of the week. I was about to say, this reminds me of like when we were working in digital media and you've graduated university, you've got your degree, you're ready to write some serious journalistic stuff and change the world. And then your editor comes to you and says, hey, I need you to write this story about an Instagram selfie war between an ex-cricketer and his ex-wife. And also, but like who's decided that it's a selfie war? Like the Daily Telegraph have just fucking decided it's a (laughs) selfie war. The first few parts of the story are quite funny. Eight months after going their separate ways, the ongoing Instagram selfie war continues between Kylie and Michael (laughs) Clark, who seemed intent this week on one-upping each other in a classic contest of who can look the happiest. In a dizzying back and forth, it's honestly... (laughs) described like a sporting match, which originally began back in July when Michael went public with girlfriend Pip Edwards. The pair have since traded very public, quote unquote, humble brags from Michael's <laughs> shameless stream of loving odes to Edwards to Kylie's recent tributes to new beau James Courtney. So these two were married for seven years. They announced their split in February. And apparently, according to the Daily Telegraph, they're going tit for tat on Instagram with smiley snaps. I'm dizzy. Is anyone else dizzy? (laughs) These selfies flying back and forth. I just can't keep up. I am so discombobulated. What a war. I'm imagining myself like sitting at a tennis match in the middle, just going like with your head going one way and then the other. (laughs) How fucking ridiculous. People would say that about you and my Instagram game, like our selfie war, one upping each other in a classic contest of who can look the happiest is that not the entire game on instagram should you and i actually engage in a selfie war this week who can look happier on every single day i'm not (laughs) you know i can't (laughs) i can't be bothered to be honest this rolls right into my fourth story mish because i can't escape michael and kylie clark even if i wanted to how pip edwards (laughs) staff tried to stop an artist entering her portrait in the archibald prize because it made the pe nation founder look old and the incredible steps they took to keep the painting secret That, of course, is from the Daily Mail. If you missed the memo and you're thinking, why did Zara say that these two stories were so connected? Pip Edwards is, of course, as we touched on in the last story, Michael Clark's new partner. So she's like the little branch of the tree stemming off from that last story. This is a fascinating one. So from what I can tell, Melbourne artist Lauren Ferrier sat down last year with Pip Edwards and she wanted to do a portrait of the high-profile designer to enter in the Archibald Prize. 
Things went a little bit murky once the painting was actually painted. So Lauren Ferrier reached out to PA Nation to ask for their signature on a form. The form was compulsory to enter the portrait into the competition. The form wasn't to say that PA Nation loves the portrait or that Pip Edwards loves the portrait. The form was to say that Pip Edwards and Lauren Ferrier met for the purpose of making this portrait. So that's a really important distinction. However, when Lauren Ferrier reached out to PE Nation and received a response from the global public relations manager, Louise Gaffigan, she was initially refused that. Gaffigan reportedly told her that the portrait made Pip look older beyond her years. She also reportedly wrote, I am sure you have been working hard on getting this together, which makes this email so hard to send. However, to be transparent and honest, we won't be able to sign the consent form for the image to be put forward. She then went on to suggest that maybe Lauren Ferrier could work on a new portrait that represented Pip Edwards' youth more effectively. I mean, memo to anyone who's getting painted from the Archibald Prize, you don't have power over the finished product. (laughs) I don't think as well, like I don't think many people would see a portrait painted of them and think, "Mm, that captures me perfectly, like I look hot. Like, I just don't mm. think that's ever going to happen because someone's interpretation of you is going to be very, very different. But it is interesting to me that the PE Nation team thought that they had any kind of say over what is a standalone piece of art. Just because you're the subject of that piece of art doesn't mean you have any power. That's what you sign up for when you mm. consent to being painted. Yeah, it's a really tricky one, though, because I can't imagine, like, I-, I agree with you, but I can imagine seeing a portrait of yourself, being self-conscious about it and thinking, I don't like the way that represents me and I don't want it to be out in the public. The unfortunate reality, though, is that when you get your portrait painted, that is exactly the risk you run. You don't own that painting anymore. You don't own any of the process. You don't really get a say. I think Daily Mail also spoke to another artist and he basically gave the advice that if you're going to get your portrait painted, you really really need to vet the person that you want to do it. Like you don't have any control after that. So eventually PE Nation did acquiesce. They did let Lauren Ferrier enter the painting into the competition. She then tried to sell it. They ended up in a bit of a tit for tat over her selling it as well. But now I think it's all ended. It's just an interesting lesson for anyone who wants to get their portrait done, which is not me. It would be my (laughs) fucking worst nightmare to have a portrait of myself done. Well, now it's my worst nightmare. Now it is. Now I'm just kidding. (laughs) You'd still so say yes as well. You would so say yes. I reckon everyone would say yes. Story number five. David and Victoria Beckham signed $29 million Netflix deal. That is from news.com. I was very excited about this story. I was so excited because when I read it, I thought, great, we've lost Keeping Up With The Kardashians and in their place, we're going to get David and Victoria and the entire Beckham family to give us a new version, a British version, if you will, of Keeping Up. However, I was quite disappointed to read that this $29 million deal is basically to look back through the archives of David Beckham's life and his rise to not just sporting victory and stardom, but his rise to fame as well. I mean, unpopular opinion, I still care desperately. I think this is going to be wonderful. I think this is going to be awesome. It's going to be family footage from over the years. There's going to be new footage. I mean, it's going to be great. Wait, let me read out this description. I would love for the listeners to get back to me and tell me if they'll watch this because I actually don't think I'll watch it. 
David Beckham's rise to fame will be documented through personal photographs and video footage of family celebrations and recollections from friends, family, and teammates. I don't think the vast majority of this will be like Victoria and David sitting down for dinner telling us about their private lives. It will be like David Beckham at the age of 11 blowing out a birthday cake. I still care. I still care. Anyway, that's all I've got for you today. Thank you so much. Thank you, next bitch. It was almost impossible to miss. This week, Kim Kardashian celebrated her 40th birthday on a private island with some of her closest friends and family. She told her Twitter and Instagram followers that after two weeks of health screenings in quarantine, she was able to get her nearest and dearest on a plane for a birthday so elaborate and extra, it reportedly cost over US $2 million for five days. Well, the internet said, isn't this a bit gross? Is this really the time to be flying around the world and flaunting your wealth? Or, in the words of Courtney Kardashian, Kim, there's people that are dying. Mish, we surveyed our listeners about whether this move was a bit yuck, and my gosh, the split was incredible. This is so interesting to us, Zara. We were looking at this story unfurl on social media and in headlines online, and our initial feeling was, What's going on? Like, where does the average person stand on this? Because people seem very divided. And when we polled our listenership on our Instagram stories, that couldn't be more true. We had more than 20,000 people vote in an Instagram story that we put live asking them, do you think Kim's 40th birthday celebrations are a bit gross or do you think we should just let her live her life? Over 20,000 people voted, 10,433 of those people voted it was fine, 10,387 voted it was gross. That is a difference of 50 votes across more than 20,000 people. I have never seen our listenership split down the middle like this before. I love it so much. Like I'm obsessed with that stat that some people don't give a shit and some people hate it. I think the first (laughs) place that I want to start, Mish, is with Kim Kardashian's caption on these photos because she wrote when she uploaded some of these photos. Before COVID, I don't think any of us truly appreciated what a simple luxury it was to be able to travel and be together with family and friends in a safe environment. After two weeks of multiple health screens and asking everyone to quarantine, I surprised my inner circle with a trip to a private island where we could pretend things were normal for a brief moment in time. I realized that for most people, this is something so far out of reach right now. So in moments like these, I am humbly reminded of how privileged my life is. A couple of things to note. If we're going to do some language analysis. Firstly, how do you surprise your closest friends and family when you've also asked them to do two weeks of multiple health screenings and quarantine? Secondly, the journalist Louise Milligan had a wonderful tweet during the week where she just posted the definition of humbly. She goes, humbly, adverb, one. In a way that shows or suggests a modest or low estimate of one's importance meekly. The servant bowed humbly before his master. Two, in a lowly (laughs) position or condition unpretentiously. She is living humbly in a share. I just thought that was wonderful. I hate people misusing this word. I can't handle people misusing the word humbly and people do it all the time. It's like when people win a bunch of awards, that's when they wheel out the word, I'm so humbled by all this success I've achieved. It's like... No, you're not. You're the opposite of humble. Your ego is inflated to the nth degree and that's fine, but you're not humble. Literally. And like people do it all the time. Like I love the Richmond Tigers. Everyone knows they're my favorite footy team in the entire world and they have my loyalty until the day I die. However, when we won three premierships in four years, the number of players who came out and said, it's just so humbling. Like I couldn't be more (laughs) humbled right now. It's like, what do you mean? You're not humbled. You've achieved more than anyone 
in the entire competition. You're grateful and you're excited and you're happy to have this success, but you are not humbled. Humbled would be losing three in a row. (laughs) Anyway, I am interested in the passion here, Mish, because I'm As much as I said I'm obsessed with the stat about how split our listenership has been, I'm not entirely surprised about the level of outrage that existed. And I think there was a tweet that said, glad to see the Kardashians are thriving while the rest of us desperately need a fucking $1,200 bare minimum stimulus package that's never coming in order to try to make ends somewhat meet. And I think this is an important point to probably start on, that there's a pretty big case to consider in the US right now for how terribly she read the room. I mean, America is about to go into one of the most divisive elections they've ever had. They have to date lost more than 230,000 people during the pandemic, which is just a number you can't even fathom. Economically, the country is shot. Congress approved the first disbursement of a $1,200 check in March for economic stimulus, but a second stimulus package hasn't been announced since. And I think I think the country is mad and divided and stressed and in dire straits and it makes me wonder like why shouldn't they take their anger out on you like why shouldn't they be allowed to do that are we really going to tell those deeply affected by a pandemic and by you know economic strife that they must be rational and reasonable about who they want to be angry at yeah I don't think we should I mean I can totally appreciate that people are devastated right now however is it also okay to channel all of that negativity and all of that anger onto someone who had no say in how the American people were going to be supported through this pandemic. It's not Kim Kardashian's fault that people are struggling. She never asked for any of this either. And I can definitely see both sides of the coin. I do want to read out the most popular tweet reply because I think it says a lot about how divided people are and where they stand. So this was a response to the tweet where Kim wrote about how we danced, rode bikes, swam near whales, kayaked, watched a movie on the beach and so much more. This follower wrote, good for you. I lost four months of pay, still tied up with unemployment and have seen a significant drop in future earnings. I'm helping my daughters with childcare and virtual school for my granddaughter. Still haven't gotten my 2019 tax return. Glad you had fun. That tweet got more than 65,000 likes. Another tweet below that got 11,000 likes that read, I don't mind that they went on this trip, but the audacity to post it for all to see is so out of touch with reality. The rich really don't have sympathy for the poor and don't have the common sense to see how shoving it in people's faces is bad. I understand the intensity of the first tweet, but I think the second one sings out to me a little bit more that I understand that we all have different lifestyles. I think we live in a capitalist Western world where that will always be the case. And I understand lots of people have different thoughts on capitalism. However, I personally don't have an issue with Kim Kardashian and her family going on a birthday celebration. I don't have an issue with them celebrating their wealth amongst each other. If they take all of the adequate health precautions and they are safe when they do so, I do, however, see how posting it online is a step too far for some people. And if you're having a shitty day scrolling through your Twitter feed or your Instagram feed and seeing how people kayaked and swam near whales on a $2 million five-day trip would be really fucking annoying. Yeah, well, this is an interesting one because, oh, God, I'm sitting on the fence a lot today. But I, when I saw tweets being like, well, it would have been better if they kept it quiet. 
Do you think that's true? Like the people that are arguing that they should have gone quietly, would it have been a bigger controversy if they had tried to hide it and it came out? Maybe. Yeah, very, very potentially. I also think it's just completely incongruous with what the Kardashians have built for them to not share their lives. This is a family who has shared every holiday, every new purchase, every fucking trip to the grocery store with us for more than a decade now. This is the way they live. They do something as a family and they share it with the masses. Yes, posting about this is not the most self-aware thing in the world, but have the Kardashians built an empire on being self-aware or the opposite? Like they have built an empire on telling us all about their Birkin bags and their personalized Bentleys and how they spend their ridiculous wealth on flashy things. Like I understand this is not for everyone and I understand some people think the Kardashians are gross, I don't personally, and God knows what that says about my priorities (laughs) or who I am as a person. But this is not different to any other thing that they've posted on any other day. This is how the Kardashians live. It's how they've always lived. It's how they've built an empire. And for some people, I understand that's gross. But for other people, the way the Kardashians live and post is not only aspirational, it's transportive in that you look at what the Kardashians are doing online or on your television. And instead of thinking, God, they're yuck for shoving that in my face. You think, God, I wish I could do that. That is a dream. They are living the life. And I'm certainly someone who probably sits in the second camp where I watch it and I feel relief and I feel happy when I watch people just fucking like fucking throwing caution to the wind and throwing $2 million at a holiday. I understand some aspects of it are gross. Other aspects of it, though, are transportive when I'm sitting at home in my track pants eating me goreng on my couch feeling quite grey. It reminds me of a piece I read this week in The Guardian by Neela Forhadari and Neela Forhadari wrote maybe Kim's mistake wasn't having the private island party or even sharing tone deaf photos of it with us but attempting to relate to us. If the super rich have taken nothing else away from the pandemic they should by now have realised that their attempts at inclusive we're all in this together relatability are always a bad idea. Kim beneficently realising that for most people, this is something that is so far out of reach right now, as if swimming with whales and having movie screenings on a private island are things we are only currently unable to do because of COVID is obviously incredibly out of touch. But when has she ever been anything else? I also mm. wonder too, this is so not off brand for them. Like this is so hardly the most extreme and elaborate thing they've ever done. I wonder if it is about managing our expectations. Like, is it really like they're not doing anything different? Like, I think if you're going to hate the Kardashians for doing this, you probably have to hate them for everything that they do and I think that a large yeah. portion of the people who are angry probably would say well I do hate the Kardashian in their entirety but I don't know I think I'm in two camps I don't personally feel offended by this but I'm also never going to tell somebody that they're not allowed to be offended by it because I think that that is a perfectly legitimate response to what has been a very tough time I also wonder why people like Bella Hadid, who went on a very similar holiday just a couple of weeks ago, didn't even make a headline. Like, what is it about the Kardashians Mm. that incite so much anger when people, other celebrities, really high-profile celebrities do exactly the same thing? It doesn't even kind of jump onto our radar. Yeah, I mean, I hate to make it a language analysis, but I think a lot of this does really lie in that one sentence We could pretend things were normal for just a brief moment in time. For so many people, normal is not being able to make rent. Normal is stressing about what you buy at the grocery store because one packet of rice is more expensive than the other. For some people, normal is constantly stressing that you're not going to be able to get by and your children and your family is going to suffer. So again, I agree with you, Zara. I understand why that woman who wrote that really popular tweet that was like 65,000 times feels the way she does. I also understand why the Kardashian 
Kardashian family feel the way they do. I found Chloe's defense of this holiday on the Allen show really interesting. She did say it was such a beautiful experience and I want Kim to focus on how beautiful it was and what she did for everybody. So many people working on the island said that we were their first party, their first guests that they've had in months and what it's done for them to be able to pay their bills or do stuff for their family. I mean, just hearing those messages when we were there, we felt really good. If we're going to talk about tangible harm or tangible benefit to people, the small communities working on this private island would have been helped by this tourism. They would have been helped almost immeasurably by this trip. They are tangibly helped. I don't know if the tangible harm by scrolling past these tweets on Twitter excuses the level and the volume of negative criticism. I don't know. I Again, I'm sitting on the fence, but there was tangible good here. And I also liked that in the wake of all this controversy, Kim Kardashian did use the momentum to point to the fact that people need to go vote. She tweeted, she tweeted the next day, now that I have your attention, this is a reminder to vote. You have six days. I kind of like that. She didn't have to do that and she tried to use it for good. I, I mean, dare I come back to you and say it's the fucking least she could probably do, to be totally honest with you. Send out a tweet about the election and encouraging people to vote. But I'm not even going to get into the depths of this. The only thing I will say about <laughs> tangible good when it comes to that small island is, yes, I agree with you, making the assumption that health checks and the health situation was in place so that the staff weren't at all put in danger when it comes to their own health because these this family wanted to have a huge holiday. That is the only thing that I would say. But what an interesting story I mean I was more concerned with I had Kylie Jenner wasn't there so they're reportedly yes Zara I'm so happy my final dot point in my notes is where the fuck were Kylie and Kanye and why is no one talking about it it was her 40th birthday and one of her sisters and her husband weren't there Kylie Jenner seems to be very distant from the entire family I'm just gonna throw a cat amongst the pigeons she doesn't seem to really care she doesn't go to many family events anymore I don't understand why work would be a valid excuse to miss her sister's 40th and her husband wasn't there. I know that Kanye might not like travelling, but I just find it very, very interesting. <laughs> it is a little combo starter to end <laughs> it with. Hey, I think that is all we've got time for. Thank you so much for joining us as always. We are so excited to launch Love Etc. this Friday. Keep your eyes out on your podcast app. We are as we say and we keep saying we are so stoked to put this one out into the world absolutely and if you've never heard of it look it up on spotify click follow so you are ready waiting for that first episode to drop when it drops on friday morning thank you so much guys in the meantime if you're looking for something to distract you from work this week head to our website shamelessthepodcast.com if you don't want to leave us a hotline message scroll through our archive of in convo episodes we've interviewed what like almost 100 people now i think zara and there are so many goodies in that back catalog other than that have a good week we'll be back in your ears on thursday bye 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 <laughs> i wasn't in the australian girls quiet clearly <laughs>
that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.